Welcome, everyone, to the Daily Kofefi. Today is Wednesday, December 18th. I'm your host, Carter Laren, and I'm not joined by Carrie. I was joined by Carrie, but because I was an idiot and didn't press record, uh, we had an awesome show that no one will ever, no one will ever hear. Um, and she has to go to work. So here's what she had to say about our show, and then I'll kind of summarize what our show was about. I just want to say this. We just, this is the second time we've done this where we did a whole episode and Carter forgot to hit record. Now, granted, this isn't usually my job. I only have to remember to hit record on the times when Carter isn't here and I do guest episodes, which has been what, like three times? So I might, you know, at three out of three isn't bad. Carter has to do this every day. So only forgetting twice, but still. Carter forgot to record today, and we just did a whole episode just for ourselves. It was really good. It was really good, but I have to go to work. I can't do it again. So you, let's, I do want to talk about this with you again later, and remind me that I want to talk about Tanzania. I will remind you you want to talk about Tanzania. I will summarize our episode for everyone. Okay. I apologize (laughs) that it's going to be just me summarizing our episode. Uh, It was great. It was fun at the beginning, even. I mocked you. It was awesome. You did mock Um, me. Don't worry. uh, again. I can't, I can't do it again. So, um, sorry. I, I gotta go. Sorry, I'm gonna Carrie. be late for work as it is. Go away. That's fine. Guys, go away. Uh, let Carter know in the comments how you, no, I'm kidding. I don't have nothing to say. No, you can, you know what? Mea culpa. I move stuff around in my office and like things are in different spots and I just Well, also part of the reason you probably forgot is because I did that long intro. You did. <laughs> you did do a long intro. I'll tell everyone about your long intro and in, in after Okay, talk to you later. Bye, guys. All right. Okay, so here's what we... (laughs) I can't believe I did this. Uh, Here's what we talked about. I did mock Carrie at the beginning of the show uh, because she was late and because she does this whole, like... We'll talk about it another time, but she does this whole ritual of airing of grievances and uh, having some contemplative time uh, before the show. So I And I have to sit there quietly and listen while she does it. Um, So... It's, it's funny, but um, I will remind people of a few things. Please, please don't get, forget to like, share, subscribe. Someday we'll have money and we'll pay a producer and uh, the producer will never forget to hit the record button. Um, I did mention this um, in the show earlier. Uh, it is the last day. If you go to unsafespace.com shop, it's the last day to get um, merch shipped for Christmas. So here is, um, here's our shop. You can go get the trigger warning lady, unsafe space stuff, Carrie's favorite thing, make Democrats liberal again. You can get a hat or a short shirt, whatever. It's the last day before Christmas, so please don't forget to go um, do that if you're interested in any of that stuff. And um, please don't forget to like, share, subscribe on all of the usual channels, etc. So in the interest of actually having a daily Kofefi today, even though... Uh, I blew it. <laughs> um, I'm going to just summarize what we talked about. We'll probably talk about this more. Um, she wants me to uh, talk about this more again with her later because she has a story about Tanzania that she wants to tell. So we'll probably do that later in the week. Um, but the show was basically about um, kind of social ostracism and um, and social pressure. So Carrie and I both noticed this article recently by the New York Times called, um, let's see, I'll put it up here for you. The title is 
Tales from the Teenage Cancel Culture. It's not a very good article. Uh, it's about, basically, it's like these teenagers uh, behaving like teenagers, having cliques and treating each other poorly and ostracizing people. And, you know, this one guy is singing uh, the lyrics to a rap song. And one of the lyrics is, um, I know it's unbelievable, but one of the rap lyrics has a racial slur. Imagine that. One of the rap lyrics has a racial slur and he's told to not sing it anymore. And he's like, no, I'm going to sing it anyway. He doesn't apologize. And the article is partially about, um, partially about that, how he gets, quote, canceled. People are calling, you know, high schoolers are calling it cancel culture. <clears throat> but, you know, what Carrie and I observed was that, you know, these tools of ostracism and social pressure are not new. They're not, uh, you know, maybe we're calling it cancel pressure now, but these tools, not only are they not new and have been used forever, um, they are also necessary. I talked about yesterday the importance of using tools like ostracism and social pressure to encourage good behavior and discourage bad behavior in society rather than relying on laws and how relying on a law actually is kind of what should be a last resort thing. And if you don't use social pressure and ostracism to discourage bad behavior, you end up getting a lot of bad behavior. And then suddenly people are saying, well, we need a law to stop all this bad behavior. Um, so if you don't want laws to stop bad behavior, you need to be employing tools to stop bad behavior uh, socially or discourage bad behavior socially. <clears throat> but, you know, and Carrie pointed out actually that we have entered into this uh, era in which these tools of ostracism, we'll call it cancel culture or just social pressure, are being used unidirectionally. They're only being used against people on the right, um, but they're not being used against people on the left for things that the leftists do. And, and she made the point that you know, no one in kind of normal mainstream society accepts the radical right, right? The, you know, the actual Nazis, the actual fascists, of which there are few, but they do exist. Um, they're, they're roundly condemned by society. <clears throat> but uh, racist and fascist behavior by, authoritarian behavior by, the radical left is not condemned. In fact, it's encouraged. And so what I really wanted to talk about here and, and what I started to explain to Carrie until we realized that we hadn't been recording and she had to go to work anyway, um, was that in the past, we had this idea that um, American culture was this melting pot. Carrie and I, before I've talked about uh, kind of the salad of American culture versus the melting pot analogy. And in, in the past, the metaphor was the melting pot. And it was kind of a, you know, melting pot, you kind of, I think of fondue when I think of the word melting pot, but um, it's kind of a single, the goal is kind of a single American culture. And when you were trying to support a single unified culture, you can use tools of social pressure to discourage behavior like dishonesty and theft or uh, propensity for violence, um, you know, irrational behavior, uh, self-destructive behavior like drug use and that kind of stuff. And 
those tools in the past have been employed to kind of um, support a, a unified, a pretty strong unified American culture, which included things that we talk about here on this show, uh, presumption of innocence, freedom of expression, freedom of association, freedom of speech, all that was part of the unified American culture. Now, if you think about this from, you know, if, if you want to imagine like an, an evil curly mustache, like authoritarian rubbing his hands, thinking about how he's going to get a hold of the, the West and how he's going to corrupt America or implement authoritarianism in the United States. I'm not saying that person necessarily exists. I think this can happen much more organically, but if you think about it from that perspective, it may um, be easier to think about what you would need to do if you want to uh, implement some sort of radical authoritarianism being either Marxist authoritarianism, authoritarianism or any kind of other flavor. And we don't have to really imagine too much about what such a person would do because people have existed like that and they've talked about it. So Yuri Brezmanov is someone that Carrie and I have talked about before. He was a defector from the former Soviet Union who in the 80s, I guess he used to work for uh, the KGB or the equivalent there, thereof. And he, um, he talked about the Soviet plans to undermine U.S. culture and how, how they were going to go about um, creating a, what they viewed as a communist revo revolution in the U.S. eventually. And one of the things that was necessary was destruction of uh, cultural cohesion and the unity of a culture. And so um, what have we seen? What have we seen in the past few decades? Well, we, we saw a generation of kids that was raised under this idea that multiculturalism was very important. This idea of multiculturalism was pushed on whole uh, generation. And, you know, they use nice words like tolerance. Tolerance sounds like a good word. In fact, it sounds like a, an enlightenment value. And in, in many respects, it, it is. There is certainly legal tolerance for disagreement. Um, and multiculturalism, though, was pushed uh, under this guise of kind of compassion uh, and tolerance. But really, it was a push to have a sort of cultural relativism. It was a push to... Um, break any idea that there was one culture was superior to another, that one culture was better or that one culture was preferable in any way. It was designed to push this idea that all cultures were equal and all cultures should be given equal consideration, equal due, equal respect, um, and, and exist side by side, a quote harmoniously. And we were told that this was good. Um, we were told that this was good for society and we would all be stronger through this side-by-side -side, uh, multicultural environment. Now, opposition to this idea of multiculturalism was tarred with the accusation of racism. So where they would conflate racism with opposition to multiculturalism. Now, of course, cultures and races aren't the same thing at all. But um, because, because they didn't want opposition to this, this multicultural idea, they would just call you a racist if you argued against multiculturalism. And so people were 
hesitant to really push back on this. And we had a generation that basically accepted this idea that multiculturalism was good and, um, and preferable and, quote, Western culture or American culture had no advantages or there's no reason to prefer it over any other culture. Now, although we were told it was good, it actually wasn't good. The facts, uh, surprise, surprise, they were lying to us. Um, I think a researcher, I think Robert, Robert Putnam <clears throat> did, uh, published some research on this uh, years ago, not, not that long ago, but he was someone, he is uh, on the left. He believed in the idea that multiculturalism makes us stronger, makes the community stronger, makes uh, society stronger, it's better. Um, and so he set out to, to demonstrate that with studies of multicultural neighborhoods and he was, hesitant to, he was hesitant to publish his results because the results of his study indicated that, in fact, the opposite was true. Multiculturalism was not good. Um, in fact, what he found was that in, in areas in which there were many different cultures, not only was trust between people across cultural groups lower, so you had a certain, let's say you had a certain trust level, and let's say you have a very more of a monoculture in an area. You've got a certain trust level between individuals and how that society functions. Well, if you start piling in other cultures, what happens? Not only does trust between groups decline, but trust within groups decline. So in-group trust actually also declined, which was kind of almost counterintuitive, but that's, that's what he found. He was hesitant to publish these results because they fly in the face of this claim that multiculturalism is good for society and, and uh, unity as a, as a society and, and, and cohesion in any way as a country. So they pushed this idea of multiculturalism, even though it was bad. They smeared you with labels of you know, racism if you, if you opposed it. And we had a, basically an entire generation raised, raised that way, raised to think that. <clears throat> then we're now at a different stage, actually. So they, they stopped using the phrase multiculturalism as much. <clears throat> I don't know if you've noticed that. They kind of switched to di diversity. <clears throat> I think one of the reasons that they've stopped using multiculturalism is We've now transitioned from, so that was that, that phase of pushing multiculturalism was about destruction of the culture. <clears throat> that was about destruction of a culture. Now that that destruction has uh, made quite a lot of inroads, now they would like to reintroduce the idea of a preferable culture, but it's a different preferable culture. It's the authoritarianism of the radical left. And so now the goal is, to push a monoculture back into society because they've destroyed this, uh, they've destroyed the, the cohesion of the former American culture. And now they would like to replace that with radical leftist authoritarianism. And to do that, they are no longer arguing that all cultures are uh, equivalent. They're no longer telling you to not ostracize. They're no longer telling you to not use social pressure. In fact, Oh, they've relabeled it now. They've called it cancel culture or whatever. But now they're pushing a generation of kids out who are absolutely using those tools of social pressure, but they're using them to enforce 
radical leftist authoritarian culture. Um, and they're, they're, those tools are, have been kind of reintegrated into society. Ostracism is now used to exclude people who are wrong thinkers, i.e. people who oppose radical leftism. And so we've kind of come full circle. We're back to this pushing, um, we're back to adopting these tools of social pressure, but now in service of a completely different ideology. And I don't think if they had adopted these tools without going through a period of destruction, I don't think they could have done this. They couldn't have gone from, we're using tools of ostracism and social pressure to reinforce American culture, um, and now we're going to switch and reinforce radical authoritarianism. People would have rejected this. Um, so they needed to go through a transition phase where, 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 which was the multicultural phase, where they weren't using those tools. Those tools were shunned. You weren't supposed to do that. Everything was supposed to be acceptable. Um, and you'll, you'll hear people, especially during this time, talk a lot about moral relativism. People were kind of aware that something was going on, and this term moral relativism um, sprang up. And it was really cultural uh, relativism in many ways, which is the idea that there is no preferable set of moral values or culture. And once you've got a generation uh, that's done that, you've kind of swept away that support for the old culture. You're now, it's now time to build up the new radical left culture and support of that culture. And again, we need the tools of social pressure in service to that. Now, <clears throat> a couple of points that Carrie and I made during our discussion, some things that we talked about was <clears throat> some of this is done uh, intentionally. It's not all kind of bottom-up or grassroots or just organically happening. One way that this, one way that immigration was handled in the past was you would have, again, with a melting pot metaphor, you would have a small number of people come in and there was strong incentives for those people to, um, assimilate to the American culture. And actually, American culture may have changed also as a result of that assimilation, sometimes for the better. So, um, you know, it's not like everything about American culture was good. There were certainly, you want some perturbances, you want to question the culture sometimes. Um, and so sometimes the culture needs to transform. An example is, um, you know, decades ago, uh, being homosexual was considered uh, horrible and vile and sinful and dirty. And that was something that uh, I would argue is a bad aspect of American culture and American culture needed to change and adopt and be more accepting of, um, of, you know, main non-mainstream sexuality, like heterosexuality, bisexuality, that kind of thing. And so uh, there are some positive changes that, that can happen in culture, but and some, and some changes that are benign. So, you know, in the past, maybe some Irish people come in, um, they are kind of, there's pressure to assimilate and, assimilate and eventually kind of the whole culture celebrates St. Patrick's Day, even though very few people are actually Irish. Um, it kind of becomes a part of the milieu uh, of American culture. And, um, and some of those, some of the mechanisms whereby this is encouraged, where this assimilation is encouraged, one of the big ones is, uh, standardization of language. So they say, okay, well, you know, you're expected to speak English. Um, you, you bring in 
you bring in groups of people, you, you limit the amount. So you don't have a, a large community uh, of uh, functioning kind of isolated. You, you allow a certain amount of uh, people from a disparate culture in, they assimilate over time. If you look at some of the, I think, I think it was American Jews uh, assimilated very quickly within like, I don't know, a generation or two, assimilated very, very quickly. Um, many of the previous immigrants assimilated very, very quickly into American culture. Um, so you, you allow that time, you have some, some pressure for them to assimilate. Um, they may end up affecting culture generally. So American culture may change a little bit as a result of that, but it's still kind of this, the goal is still kind of this unified, relatively unified, obviously not, not everyone's in agreement, but there's kind of a relatively unified American culture, a sense of American culture. What's happened instead, and this is something that you'll see, for example, with refugee settlements, the State Department, so there's about nine NGOs that, uh, that facilitate the resettlement of refugees in America. Um, the State Department works closely with them. Most of those NGOs, you think of them as charities, but they get most of their funding from uh, government grants and stuff. So um, they're very tightly interwoven with the government. They work very closely with the federal government. Um, and, you know, you'll see the State Department, for example, uh, push to have areas of the country where there is social cohesion. Um, Montana is an example where there's a lot of social cohesion. You'll have cities in those areas um, inundated with refugees and they'll locate a refugee, um, quote, settlement uh, in that area. And they will not, they'll do everything that they can, everything in their power to avoid assimilation. And they will ignore any requests by local governments or mayors or whatever to uh, slow the process. So the, the bureaucrats in the State Department are supposed to be responsive to local officials. So, um, you know, for example, when I think there was a mayor in Montana, somewhere in Montana, who was like, look, we've got 200,000 people. You can't keep bringing refugees. Most of these refugees are, are Muslim, which obviously is a disparate culture. Um, we've got like 42 different languages being like 911 has to, to service like 42 different languages um, in a city of like 200,000 people, you've got to slow this down, but they don't slow it down. And I believe the reason is they're intentionally trying to disrupt areas of the country that have co social cohesion, that have a unified culture, um, have a, a more traditional American culture. They're intentionally trying to disrupt them. And the way that they do that is they, they bring in uh, people of disparate cultures. They do everything in their power to not force them to integrate. So they subsidize their existence. So that means that they don't have to go get jobs in the community. They can have a subsidized existence through taxpayer dollars instead of having to go out and, um, and mesh with the rest of the community. They have no language requirements, really. They, they, allow, they um, encourage or even require uh, education and other government services to um, function in non-English languages, so they don't even really have to learn English. And, and they bring in them in, in such numbers that there's kind of this, this cohesive mass, which is isolated from the rest of the community. And I think this drives uh, cultural fracturing in these areas that had been unified. And I believe that the federal government is kind of doing this intentionally. I think this, the State Department is doing this intentionally. They're picking spots that there 
is a, a strong amount of cultural cohesion already in the U.S., not areas where there's already, you know, lots of disparate cultures working together, but areas where um, there's not, and they're, and they're forcing the, these communities to accept um, refugees with very different cultures with um, no plan for actually integrating them and assimilating them into American culture. In fact, the opposite. Uh, plans to try and keep them isolated, keep them separate. And so I brought this up and Carrie's response was that she has a friend who's a trucker who drives around the country and uh, he has observed this very same thing. He's observed that there are areas of the country where suddenly you'll run across, there's like this massive Muslim population for, for example. And it's not that Muslims can't come into the U.S. and integrate and uh, assimilate to U.S. culture. They can. But Islam is not really compatible with the values of the West generally. Um, in order for a Muslim to come in and assimilate into the United States, they, they have to kind of adopt some ideas that are not very popular in, in the more concentrated Muslims area of the world, Muslim areas of the world. Um, that's part of assimilation, right? They kind of merge their culture with U.S. culture. That's, that's how it should work. But what's happening is they're coming in, they're not assimilating at all because they're giving lots of incentives to not, not assimilate and every, every chance to not assimilate. Um, and so this creates fracturing in those communities. And I think that's intentional. I think, I think the State Department is intentionally trying to disturb the areas of the country which still cling to some sort of uh, idea that there's a, an American culture that's, that's unique and important. And so that was really our discussion. She wanted to then talk more about uh, uh, Tanzania. I don't know how that's going to be related, but I think she was going to share a story about some sort of cultural assimilation in Tanzania that she observed or lack thereof that she observed. But, you know, I think, again, I want to circle back to this. Don't get caught up in the idea that pushing for a unique American culture or a unified American culture is racist. We're not talking about races. We're not talking about excluding people based on the color of their skin or anything else. What we are talking about is because politics is downstream from culture, because culture actually ultimately controls our political destiny, it's important to have a relatively cohesive culture that supports enlightenment values, things like freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of association, innocent until proven guilty. All of those things are um, the second amendment, right? The right to self-defense. All of those things are very important for, um, as cultural norms in order to support them politically. So if you like the idea of the constitution and uh, the ideas behind the U.S. Constitution, you need to be supporting a culture that enforces those ideas, not this idea that, you know, you can't just give up on the culture and say, well, any culture can come in and this piece of paper called the Constitution will make sure that those ideals, uh, that those ideas are enforced legally. That's not how it works. The culture will ultimately control. And so if you want the kind of American system, if you want limited government and individual rights, and that's kind of your idea of what this country should be, then you need to be fighting at a cultural level and opposing the uh, 
the attempt by and so far successful attempt by the left to not only subvert American culture and create fracturing and destroy the idea that there, we should be working towards a unified culture, not only do that, but now to then push forward this idea that, oh, yes, there should be a unified culture, but it should be radical leftist authoritarianism. And it should be what the CEOs of Twitter and Facebook and uh, YouTube and Google want it to be, which is this kind of radical authoritarianism. And this is how, and of course, they believe that they'll be in charge of the big brother apparatus, which they kind of are uh, as part of this. So they're pushing that. Um, But we've got to push back. So that was our conversation. I'm sorry that you just had to listen to me monologue about the conversation and give you a summary. It was a great conversation. It was way better than whatever the summary was, but you're just going to have to trust me. Carrie and I will have it again. Uh, we'll probably talk more about this later. If I don't remember when we do our live Kofefi this Friday, please remind her in chat to talk about Tanzania and we'll, we'll reopen this discussion. But that's the summary. Thanks for watching again. Mea culpa. I apologize. It's completely my fault. It was not Carrie's fault. Completely my fault. I forget to press the record button. So you missed our you missed our great conversation and you're stuck with the summary. Have a good day. Thanks for thanks for liking and subscribing. Please don't forget to share. Also follow us on BitChute. Uh, if you can watch on BitChute, watch on BitChute because um, any day now I'm sure YouTube is going to ban us completely or at least make it very difficult to uh, find and access our content and BitChute is preferable. So with that, have a good day, everyone, and we will see you tomorrow.